I never had a business plan. I didn't know you could raise money. And also I was a 19 year old kid without a plan. No one was going to give me money. Like it just wasn't going to happen. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Simi Dillon, founder of Simmer, the solution to eating well every day. Simi started by selling jerk chicken cooked in his uni halls and was delivering orders on his bike. He then set up the foundations of his business while completing his degree and working at Google before fully embracing full-time founder life. Simi has been on an incredible journey scaling his business to date, and I've had the great pleasure of meeting him in recent times at a founders event. So I'm really honored that he's agreed to come on the podcast and share his story with you all today. So Simi, we caught up last night at a Christmas bash, um, recording this in December. So um, it's amazing to see you again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. How, how are things? Things are going well. And yeah, it's great to, to finally be on. I know we've been speaking about it for a little while. Yeah, indeed. I've been very excited about this. Um, we need to warm you up a bit. You know, it's cold outside and we always like to get some quickfire questions to kind of get the conversation going. So if you could finish the following sentences for me, that would be fabulous. Right. First up, I grew up wanting to be. I was meant to be quickfire, but I'll say first a footballer, then uh, an entrepreneur. And in the, in between, I thought about finance as well. So kind of a banker, I guess. Okay, okay. Right, we, we'll, dig, we'll dig into that a bit more in a minute. A misconception people have about me is? That I love cooking. I feel like I've got a bit of uh, cooking PTSD after cooking so much. <laughs> <laughs> fatigued, fatigued. I definitely. do love eating. Amazing. I love eating too. I'm definitely not as good a cook as you. Um, and I think I prefer consuming food than creating it. The last time I cried was when? So I was actually, it was, it was happy tears. Um, so I was kind of just like reflecting about how far we'd come. And I was actually just sitting in a little home gym that we have. And halfway through, I was just kind of just, I don't know why I should have been just doing gym, but I was just thinking, like thinking about like how far we'd come as like a business and a family. And it was just like a, a nice moment because I feel like I don't really stop to reflect. And it was actually somewhere I just kind of just deeped everything that's gone on and it was just a really nice moment. And then I just kind of went back inside afterwards and just didn't say anything to anyone. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. There's sometimes those kind of silent tears that you have on your own, particularly if they're happy ones. There's kind of like, yeah, a little moment to yourself just to reflect. I think I, I actually think we all need to do that a little bit more. Cry. I actually think men should cry more because we're, we're traditionally not that good at letting some of these emotions out. But I think also just reflecting on the journey. I think when you're a founder and just is so intense all the time you often don't take the time to celebrate the wins and actually see how far you've come so i, I hope uh, people listening to this can be inspired by that awesome if there was one thing i could change about entrepreneurship it would be maybe a little bit controversial but um how like kind of posh white and male it is i can't disagree with that <laughs> yeah i think um sadly there's still a lot of work to be done on that front but I guess part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is to promote the stories of the diverse founders out there like yourself that are changing the narrative on that in that regard. But uh, still a lot more work to be done. I think we need to see more representation from investors as well as founders, because I think that will make an impact. Thanks for sharing that to me. I think it's, it's sometimes I like a bit of controversy, especially at the beginning. My biggest failure to date is... I guess a lot of people come on the podcast have 
been on, on much longer journeys. I would probably say that um, dropping out of university the first time I did it, I've kind of done it twice. Uh, that felt really, yeah, that felt like a huge failure at the time. So I definitely the one that sticks with me and probably the one that taught me the most. most. Interesting. Out of interest, what was the main reason the first time you did it? Wrong course, wrong place, um, but mainly the course. And uh, I was very like scared of, of failing. I was very like reluctant. So I actually, even though I hated it on the first week, I stayed for a whole term. So I stayed for like a good kind of 12, 13 weeks, even went home over Christmas and then came back determined to make it work. And I think we, sometimes we remember things quite vividly. And I remember driving back to, to campus. And as soon as I saw those buildings, my accommodation, like my heart sunk. And I just knew in that moment, oh, I just can't do this anymore. And like, even that night, I was like, okay, I'm going to stay up and still revise. And it got to the, the next day when I was in like a revision lecture, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. No, it's, it's, the time is, is right to, to leave and move on. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think um, sometimes we kind of flog a dead horse, don't we? And you just keep plugging away at something when you know in your heart of hearts it's just not the right thing to do. And I think that probably translates to the business world and the startup world where you know perhaps the idea you have and the startup you're building isn't on the right path. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just to, to pull the ripcord on it. So it's a very brave thing to do, actually. But it seems like it's all worked out for the best. So we'll come on to kind of hearing a bit more about the story. But before we jump into the backstory, tell me a bit about your upbringing, because I often find that upbringing, especially amongst entrepreneurs, you know, has a big impact. So where, where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yeah, and I think especially with like, it has a big impact on almost all entrepreneurs, but I think especially so for myself and business that we have. So I would say that like my upbringing was the easiest way to describe it is kind of like brown working class in that you have like those kind of Asian elements that you'd expect, but also the kind of working class elements. And I think a lot of people when they speak about diversity, and I'm maybe going kind of on a tangent here, but people are like, oh, it's great that Rishi Sunak's um, prime minister. And I was like, yes, it's great because it looks like diversity, but actually he's gone to like, some I don't I don't know what it is, but like the fees at the private school were more than like a lot of people's like household income, and I'm just like it does it's not really that much of a celebration of diversity. But I would say yes, yeah, so it was like a, a brown working class upbringing. So both of my parents had the same jobs for my whole life, pretty much. So <clears throat> my dad worked in a factory and still does to this day, trying very hard to nudge over the line to retirement. Uh, but he's a bit stubborn and resisting a little bit. And then my mom worked in Tesco's my whole life, and as kind of like obviously not being able to earn that much. They were always doing kind of like part-time jobs here, there, and like kind of having bits on the side of the main like kind of full-time jobs. But it provided myself and Jay with a lot of stability. And I feel like obviously for a lot of ethnic minorities and people who kind of like moved to the, the country in like kind of 60s, 70s, 80s. And obviously now I guess you've got different types of immigrants where like we have a lot of kind of like more so like the kind of the Windrush, Windrush generation coming in like 60s and before that. But I feel like when you come to the country like that, your main like kind of objective is kind of survival. And the best way to do that is like to be quite safe and just get a job that's like pretty safe. And I, I feel like there's, there's nothing really safer than kind of like blue collar work is, is, is pretty secure and it's not going to change your life, but it, it will kind of just like give you what you need. Mm, interesting. And I guess that stability over time has clearly created the the foundations where you've been felt the ability to go out and be entrepreneurial and maybe take more risk do you think those things are linked i think obviously with myself and jay we have like this very like british asian working class upbringing where both our parents had like typical kind of like blue collar jobs 
a lot of people, I think, in the UK have quite a lot of security, where it's like, obviously, there are times when it's tough, and especially now in the cost of living crisis, but, and there are obviously people who are homeless, but I think for the large majority of people, most people have access to the internet, most people have access to books through libraries and so on and so forth. And I think you kind of have that kind of safety net. A lot of people do have that safety net. And I feel like we had that, which our parents kind of didn't because they had to kind of do a certain jobs to like provide that safety net. And it kind of gave us the opportunity to be a bit more kind of ambitious. And we kind of knew that like, it was quite easy for us to like, exceed what our parents had done. And I think that actually is a bit of a blessing for us that we had like very low expectations put on us. And I think we were both like very like ambitious and obviously Jay more so with football and myself more so with like academics and like entrepreneurship. But our parents were kind of just like very supportive, like in terms of my dad would always say kind of like, as long as you got a roof over your head, food on the table and clothes on your back, I've done my job. And he would always give us a very kind of cliche advice, but he's just always like, what you put in is what you get out. Those kind of values that I guess have made us like kind of who we are today. But in terms of the entrepreneurial spark, and I think a lot of people, their parents are entrepreneurs, um, like a, a crazy amount of um, entrepreneurs, their parents were doing something and it might not have been something like crazy, but they all had some kind of thing. But look, my parents, like literally nothing, um, just like very secure, safe jobs. But on the other hand, that kind of gave us that safety to go and like push on and, and test and try different things. I also think like where we grew up had a big impact on us, like being in, so we're from Hitchin where the business is based now, and it's a small town. And I think it gave us a lot of confidence because, and that's probably where we come back to obviously like dropping out of university. When I got there, that school had always been kind of a big fish in a small pond, way ahead of like most of my classes. It was like just a, a basic state school. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think the same thing for Jay, where he was like, I guess like the best footballer in his year the best footballer in the school in, in the town and so on and so forth and then when you go into like this large world it is a bit of a shock but i think it also gave us a lot of confidence that i guess we still have today am i right in saying that the inspiration was similar for rice and spice as back then it came from your brother's experience of training in a premier league football club but not really enjoying the meals do you mind sharing a bit more about the context of that and the origin story of the business and i guess ultimately how you've taken it from where it was then to where it is today yeah, so as like a teenager, Jay was at clubs like Chelsea, like Luton, Stevenage and and those kind of clubs. And they were always kind of like, oh, you need to eat these types of food. And actually growing up, myself and Jay were actually quite overweight, not like crazy amounts. And we were like very active. We played a lot of sport, but we were big kids. And yeah, we're definitely carrying a bit of extra timber. And I think when we went to certain clubs, obviously my dad says this now, and maybe he's exaggerating a bit. I don't think they actually said this. I'd be shocked if they did, but there's crazy things that are said. But he was just like, basically, they would be like, oh, you can't just be feeding your son curry. He needs to be put on this diet plan and so on and so forth. He needs to follow this thing. And it's just like very bland and very boring because obviously parents were working full time. Mum, I guess her job was less intense than dad because had lots of shifts and, and like terrible hours they had to work. Mum would always be responsible for cooking, but we couldn't kind of expect her to cook this kind of food that she'd like, it's completely alien to her. Like when they're like, ah, oh, have these types of food in these types of ways and like all this nutrition info, which we had no idea anything like calories and macros and all this kind of stuff. And we all are going to have to eat the same food. We're not like we can make certain things for Jay and certain food for like the rest of the family. We all have to eat the same thing. So we basically started to kind of like make this hybrid thing where it's just like, it's like our home cooking that we normally have mixed with like these kind of nutrition guidelines. And I think as a family, we kind of like it forced us to learn more about nutrition. And what we realized is that actually when they're telling us you need this amount of protein and they're giving you this diet plan, you don't need to follow their diet plan. You need to kind of like use the 
nutrition guidelines in terms of calories and macros, but actually you can do whatever you want around that. And obviously this must have been like early 2010-ish. So me and Jay would have been like teenagers at this time. And the, I guess this was like where like the whole healthy eating movement and like there's lots of stuff that happened in the last 10 years where like now healthy eating is so popular because it can be delicious. Whereas like five, 10 years ago, it wasn't the case. Everyone just thought it was really boring and bland. And there was this huge kind of thing where it's like, it's either delicious or it's healthy and it can't, it can't be the same thing. But for us, that, that wasn't a thing at all. We were just like, our food's delicious and it's healthy. So we were just making like, see what Rice and Spice became is that the meals that we actually were eating ourselves at home. And I think there were points where Jay, for example, when he was like a bit older, he'd be taking meals into training with the first team at Stevenage or he was like an under 18 and so on and so forth. And other guys were like, oh, can we get some of that? Like, looks great. Like, can, can you bring us something? We'll pay you for it. And mum was just like, oh no, it's fine. Like, I'll just make extra portion. You don't need to pay us for it because a lot of the guys who are asking for it were guys who were from London who were living in digs. And it's like, mum's just like, I can't really charge. They're not earning lots of money. They're just kids kind of thing. So yeah, we would do <clears throat> meals for some of the other players as well, but it wasn't a business. Uh, we weren't charging anyone. So yeah, we did that a little for a little bit. But, and that was kind of maybe like something that sparked in my head as like the entrepreneur in the family. Mm, we, we can make a business out of this. But yeah, it wasn't until later that we actually started Rice and Spice. Nice. I'd love to hear a bit more about the evolution of Rice and Spice, as I know that you took some time out of uni to dedicate to that process. Tell us a bit about that. And also, what is your elevator pitch for the business today? Yeah, so I guess in a sentence, Simmer is now like a healthy meal delivery service for like the time, taste and health conscious. But going back to actually when it started, when I dropped out of university, I did the most mind-numbing admin job that you could ever imagine it was so bad and whilst i was there i was obviously working with adults and i was like mm, i see what they were buying for lunch and i was like i'm sure i could sell them like something better more delicious and i went home and i was like i tested some recipes with mom and i was like i'm gonna make this and sell it to them and i kind of like bottled it i was just like not i don't think i didn't do it because i was scared or afraid of selling people or like taking the plunge i did it because i just didn't think it was practical like where would i take it would i put it into like what fridges would I put it into? How would I deliver to them if I'm working? Like, would they think that I'm not allowed to do that because it's work? Like, is there a, like, let's be like, this guy's just new, like, he's just like here for the summer, what happened? So I kind of didn't do it. And then when I got to uni, it was something that was playing on my mind for a little while, but I was kind of determined after dropping out of uni, uni once. And I went back and I went to Bristol to make sure that I got on top of like um, my studies first. So, first term, I like obviously enjoyed the uni experience, made new friends, played football, so on and so forth, uh, went to my lectures. And then I did my exams in January. But before this, I decided in like December that I was going to start this thing after my exams. So I tested all the recipes over Christmas with my mom. I thought, how am I going to start this thing? Did my exams. The very next day, like, all my friends were going out and partying, so on and so forth. Yeah, went to the supermarket, bought like, dipped in my student overdraft, bought some chicken, some rice, some spices, and just started cooking meals and, and made a Facebook page and just basically started selling it to students. And that's how we started. And from there, like it's been a crazy kind of journey. I could speak for hours about it, about like kind of where we've gone to, to, to where we are today. But basically started there, pivoted quite a few times and are this like healthy meal delivery service, sending like thousands of parcels each week to thousands of customers. And the package basically has ready to eat meals that are all like portion controlled, nutrient dense, high protein. You can put it in your microwave or oven, heat it up and, and eat it. And it just saves a lot of time. It's delicious and uh, like kind of provides you with the the nutrition that you need to basically just like be energetic and obviously achieve your whatever health goals you want to do. I know business is really flying at the moment. So massive congrats on all you've achieved today. 
You referenced that it started as a bit of a side hustle and you were juggling uni, did internships and then ultimately got your full-time job at Google. But in the background, you were evolving and really working on the business. How did you decide when it was the right time to go all in on your business and ultimately hand in your notice? I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would be like, you're at Google. Why would you ever leave? Why would you take such a risk? So do you mind telling our audience a bit about how you came to that decision? So as I mentioned, like we started off very small and I never had a plan for it. Like initially, one of the reasons why I started, obviously I was passionate about like thing. I thought it was just an obvious thing that I could sell, but I started it to be like kind of more employable. I started it to stand out because I knew how competitive it was to get these like grad schemes and internships. So that was an, an, another reason why I actually forced me to start. And I was like, I need to do something here. And obviously I'd, I'd gone and worked in banking, worked at Google, like had an internship, converted full-time offer and I'm working there. But during that process, like during that time where I'm finally getting these jobs that I'd always wanted to get, I was always way more passionate about the business. It was way more fun. I was doing it for myself. I was doing it for my family. I was doing it for like the customers and the product. And I just I'm so passionate about like, I just felt like this product provides so much value to people's lives. We've seen like thousands of people who have sent us really like heartwarming messages about how it's changed their life and how obviously that's a few people most people just like yeah it makes my life easier but i just realized that more people need this product i could make a lot of money from this and it was just going really well so it got to the point where i think one of like the unique parts about our journey is that we bootstrapped this business to like i think it's around like 750k arr before i quit my job and that's like me and jay had built this business it's profitable the whole time we've got to that level of revenue we've got a great brand great business like operations so on and so forth and we're only part-time. So it was kind of obvious. It was just like, we've got this far with such little resources. How, how much further could we get? And maybe I was a bit too optimistic in terms of, I thought, wow, we're going to go hundreds of millions of revenue like overnight and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's been good since doing it. But I think coming back to that question on like how I made the decision, I think it was just quite obvious. I, I speak to a few friends who are thinking about doing the same thing. And I think like, obviously it's e- it would be easy for me to say, quit, go and do your own thing, work for yourself, so on and so forth. Like, that's not what I did. I like worked for a long time on it before doing that. But I was also very fortunate that I started when I was young and my opportunity cost was lower. And I think opportunity cost is a big thing here because it would be easy for me to say, ah, oh, yeah, quit your job when you're 30, go and do something you're passionate about. You can't work for corporates. You can't do something like sell your soul. But actually, if you're 30 and you've got, or like 35, you've got kids, a partner, mortgage, so on and so forth, it would be irresponsible for you to just quit your job. But then it's also very difficult for you to build something on the side when you've got so, so many commitments. So yeah, I think I was quite fortunate in that regard. Yeah, timing is often a really important factor in all this. And it's very similar to me. I set JBM up when I was 25 and it was because I had nothing to lose at that point and everything to gain. There are going to be people that are tuning into this that also have side hustles and are really working on them actively at the moment. Potentially they're going great guns. And we've really seen with the gig economy becoming more prevalent, Lots of candidates we're talking to have aspirations to be founders down the line, or they're just looking for greater variety or flexibility in their life. So a portfolio career or side hustles can sometimes really be a great way forward. So what advice do you have for them? Because you've obviously had a side hustle that became something fantastic that you've ended up going all in on. How did you manage to keep focus? And can you provide any tips or pointers for anyone that may be in that position now, weighing up whether it's the right time to go all in on a startup idea? I would say it's obvious, but it's like the hard things that no one wants to do. It's like, oh, how do I get in shape? How do I lose weight? It's like, well, you need to be in a calorie deficit and you need to eat these meals and you need to work out. And same thing with like the side hustle is you need to spend a lot of time on the side hustle. I guess you don't have to have revenue, but like for most things, you've got to be sure you've got the customers, you've got the users. And 
you are going to, unless you're going to raise money, you've got revenue. I'm going to assume for the purpose of this conversation, when I'm giving advice that we're talking about bootstrap businesses, because I, I don't feel like in a position to give advice on like VC back businesses and when you raise like some money. But I think you've got to be sure that you've got customers and that it's going to grow further from that. And to be honest, like you have got to compromise on a lot of things and give up a lot of things. Like when I pretty much gave up my uni experience to work on the business, I sacrificed that. I still had some great times at uni and lots of great mates, but I think it was a case of like, I put the business, like I made the business my life. Every moment I was working on it, I was obsessed with like learning more about it all the time. And like, but that's because I really enjoyed it. So I was just basically like, yeah, like make it your focus and like put as much time as possible into it. I think like the big thing is like focusing on like time management and allocating time. It's like, you know, how everyone's like, oh, you got your nine to five and your five to nine or like before work and after work. Obviously, it's a, a bit of a thing where like people are like, oh, you can't say that like some people are like oh i'm a night owl some people are like oh, i wake up early so on and so forth the thing that i'd always say is that like i would say basically wake up early because i, I know people are like oh, i work better in the evening but like between the hours of like six and nine i feel like people will be way more productive than between the hours of like nine and midnight because during nine and midnight you've got like you feel in that mindset where you're gonna watch tv you can do other things but you can't get up between six and nine and waste time you, it's just not a thing that happens so i say you yeah, just get on top of your schedule like planning rigorously and maybe even like I feel like maybe it was a bit obsessive the way that I was planning things and scheduling things and like just obviously another like plug, I guess, for Simmer, but like really focusing on nutrition and your health as well. But like my fun was like mealtimes and exercise, which sounds a bit sad, but it's kind of like what I needed to do. And these are my breaks from work and, and, and study and so on and so forth. That's great advice to me. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this who have side hustles who may just take the plunge off the back of that. I'm really keen to hear a bit more about the success you've had so far. And I'd love to understand why you decided to build a bootstrap business as opposed to raise funding. And what's been the hardest part of that so far? For me, and like I never had a business plan. I didn't know you could raise money. And also, I was a 19-year-old kid without a plan. No one was going to give me money. Like It just wasn't going to happen. And also, I didn't think I needed it. I feel like one of the values or like the philosophies I always live by and try to like bang on about to anyone who works for Simmer or people I kind of friends and and family so on and so forth are like do more with less and i've always done that like growing up like our upbringing was always do more with less be scrappy and, and, and resourceful so yeah but like it wasn't even a thought to raise money first and yes yeah, so that's how we kind of like that's what why i did that decision i wasn't aware of startups when i started like i didn't even know that thing i was just it's a business to me it was like selling sweets on the playground it's the same thing it's just on a to different customers and a different product so yeah it was just like a very logical thing for me to not raise money i didn't need it because it was a very small scale. So that's like why I did it. In terms of the second question, you say like, what's the biggest challenge? Yeah, what, what have there been particularly hard parts about being bootstrapped? I think being good with money definitely helps in any business, but especially when you're bootstrapped. Everything's your money. And like when you're bootstrapped and you're like sole founder. So like the biggest challenge being bootstrapped, I feel like in, in our business is definitely like the two things you can spend money on, which are salaries and staff and marketing spend. And especially when it comes to salaries, Sometimes you're thinking, mm, I'm paying this person 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80K, whatever it is. And you're like, that's coming out of my pocket. I'm literally paying them to do something. So you're really going to scrutinize that work, which can be dangerous because like, you might like be too harsh and like, they might be like, well, I can go and that money or more elsewhere and I won't be scrutinized so much. But it's obviously about getting the right people. So I definitely think like hiring when you're bootstrapped is a huge challenge and especially in roles that don't directly like generate revenue. For us, I think it's quite easy to hire for like kitchen staff because we're like, okay, we've got the revenue in. We need to produce these things. Your salary or your like labor is going to come out of 
of, of, of revenue, which is fine. But then it's like when you're hiring other people, you're like, it becomes very much more difficult. So I think hiring has been a huge challenge and also marketing spend. And I think like a lot of like spending money, like when we started off, we didn't spend anything on marketing for like four or five years, which is ridiculous. And it's been a big part of our success because we were just like, okay, what can I do with time? How can I be resourceful? And that's why like we require most of our customers for organic social media. And obviously there is a cost to that. The cost is time, but you're also gaining skills through that. So yeah, that's like, like being bootstrapped forced us to be resourceful. Um, but the big challenges are like marketing and hiring, I believe. When it's come to operations, we've obviously had to spend a lot of money. But I, I, I don't think there's been a hesitation there, really, because it's always looked at as an investment, I think, and something that's necessary. Yeah, as a search firm that places COOs into startups and scale-ups, you really can see the difference when a startup has a world-class operations function or when they don't, because things can go horribly wrong when they don't have the right people, systems, and processes in place. It's not really something you want to skimp on, is it? That's great advice. So thank you so much for that. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 Minute Mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40 Minute Mentor. I think a lot of what you have said resonated with my own experience, and I'm sure with many others that are listening. So I've got to ask, would you ever consider raising from VCs or angels? Is that part of the grand plan? I definitely would consider it. Uh, my preference is definitely not to. Like if you could be uh, a unicorn without raising any money, that's obviously the dream. But it's a kind of like, where do we want to get to and how much do we need in order to get there? So obviously the plan is always reinvest profits and grow as much as we can without that. But there are obviously options in terms of, I would say like never say never. And like obviously if a good opportunity comes there, like you you can't be stubborn and, and narrow-minded and fixed in your ways. Like if if it makes sense, then I'd always be open to doing something. But I think if we were to raise money, it would either be through angel investors or through debt, because it just would make so much more sense for us. And I feel like you lose a lot of control with VCs, whereas with angels and obviously with debt, that you kind of like can negotiate the terms a lot more. And it's a lot clearer what you're giving up or if you're giving anything up with debt, whereas like you're obviously borrowing money and you're just paying it off. It's like a loan. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wouldn't surprise me if we have a lot more founders coming on the podcast with that mindset. Obviously, the world has changed a lot in the last few years, where there had been so much VC money out there and some pretty unrealistic valuations. The world's now changed. So I think it's really great to see so many success stories now emerging like yourself, who's bootstrapped a business. And I guess I resonate with that a lot, having done it myself. But it'd certainly be interesting to see if you carry on down that path or whether you do go on to raise external capital. In the last year or so, you've really expanded your team. You've built this amazing community. You've rebranded, which I know is a massive deal. You really are an experienced entrepreneur, despite your relatively young age. You've had so much success, and I'm sure there's much, much more to come. Despite all the success, I'm sure many people forget that you've never done this before. So how you and your brother have been able to run the business in the way that you have is just super, super impressive. I'd be interested to know, who have you leaned on when you faced difficult times or 
when you've not known how to deal with a certain situation. Where do you get your guidance or, or mentorship from? I know from my own experience, it can be a lonely place sometimes, even with another founder or good people around you. So yeah, how have you got through the difficult moments? I would say like mainly just thinking from first principles and problem solving. And it's like you go through school and like for myself, I study maths quite a lot. And even economics is very like, there's lots of maths based questions, but it's all like kind of problem solving. Like here is like, your constraints, here are your resources, here's where you want to get to. Like, how do you do that? And from from like as much as we could, we would always try and like act from first principles. And then like if we couldn't work it out from that or we're just going around in circles, we would basically like try and see what other people have done. Because the thing is, 99% of businesses, like they're not doing anything new. It, you're 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 not reinventing the wheel. You're like trying to like provide a solution that's already been provided in a more efficient way, in a better way in some way. You're, you're making some kind of improvement. So for example, one big challenge with operations is sending parcels across the country. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. So what do we do? We looked at HelloFresh, Gusto, how do they do it? What kind of insulation do they use? And just like, yeah, just looking at kind of like other kind of companies. In terms of like other solutions and other ideas, I feel like, especially myself, like I read a lot and listen to a lot of podcasts. So I'd be listening to something and I'd be like, wait, we can apply that to, to Simmer or Rice and Spice or RNS. And always I'd be kind of like consuming some piece of information and obviously I'm consuming it just like to enjoy it and to, to learn from what the person who's giving that information, their their point, what like objective they have, what they're trying to teach. But I'd always be like in the back of my head thinking, uh, I've always got like a constantly on filter. How does this help Simmer? How does it help Simmer? And I just hear things like, wow, we could do that. We can take this, we can take that. So we've never really had any like formal like train. I know people who do like accelerators and so on and so forth. They do courses and all that kind of stuff. But we just like learn from experience, use first principles, read, learn, try to consume information and, and apply it to our business, basically. That's great to hear and very inspiring for anyone else that might be on a similar path at the moment. I really wish podcasts existed when I set JVM up. I think it would have helped me not make as many mistakes as I did. I think there are so many great resources out there. And I guess this podcast is all about promoting the power of mentorship and learning from others and being really honest about the whole journey, not just talking about the good bits. So it's always great to hear that podcasts are part of that learning and development and play a key part in the evolution of your own journey. Yeah, funnily enough, I'm not just trying to plug podcasts here, but um, when I was in my first year of uni, in my second year, and I was um, doing a lot of, we come back to the things that you spoke about in terms of like side hustles and like, when you start, you're bootstrapped and you're a side hustle, you end up doing a lot of shitty jobs. Yeah, you do a lot of menial jobs that you don't want to do. So like for me, like going to the shops, shopping for food, cooking, like chopping onions, flipping chicken, dishes, like deliveries on my bike, all that kind of stuff. They're all like kind of like, I guess, tasks that you would delegate. Like no CEO or founder is going to do those tasks and, and you know eventually you're going to delegate them. But whilst I was doing them, I had no staff. I was never going to hire staff at that stage. I was literally listening to audio all the time. I, it's funny when people ask me about like, oh, what's your favorite song? What's your music? I, I don't really listen to music unless I'm going to the gym. I'd always be like, literally have a podcast in and on time too. So in a week when I was spending 30 hours doing menial tasks, I was probably listening to 60 hours worth of like lessons and learning. So over over that kind of year at university, 60 times, like 50 weeks in a year, I was probably doing that. I'm like consuming 3,000 hours of, of knowledge. And um, yeah, I think that, that had a huge impact on me. It gave me so many ideas. And I think in a way, the fact that I didn't discuss this with anyone, I didn't really speak to Jay about it, I didn't speak to my friends about it. I was just like, wow, I was just dreaming. I was just doing these things and just dreaming and, and going back and writing about it and thinking, oh, this could happen next, that could happen next. And I was just in my own little world, basically. 
Yeah, I love that. I've got to ask, you've had so many highs on this journey, but what's been your biggest pinch me moment as a founder to date? I think it's always nice when we serve like kind of high profile people. It's, it's always like a nice thing to say, oh, we serve this person, that person. So like, like Chunks is someone who's obviously like quite, well, I don't know if you know who Chunks is. Oh yeah, I saw him on uh, Soccer Aid this year. Yeah, so we actually first met him in 2019, which is ages ago before we were like, like well, I was still at uni at the time. And even this year, he's still been using meals. So, so for some people like that, it's great. We still have a lot of like professional footballers. So like the other week, in fact, I think we were pretty much sure last week, Max Ahrens, who has played for like England 21s, played in the Premier League, plays for Norwich now. He 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 gets meals. Aki Femma, obviously, is, is a huge name in football. And then obviously we'll have stuff like lots of influence, like kind of Molly Mays, because she's actually from Hitchin, where we're from, people like that. I'm probably forgetting a lot of people, but yeah, just a lot of big names using our meals. Recently, what else is quite nice and like kind of shocking is, I guess the community that we've built quite often now, maybe like once a month, a random person will stop me in London, be like, oh, I've seen you online, I love your like business, so on and so forth. And I think the really nice thing about that is I'm shocked by how genuinely excited and passionate they are about the journey and the business. And I think it's just because it's quite relatable. It's not like, I think when people spot a celebrity, they're like, oh, I want to take a photo because I want to show other people. No one's going to go and say, oh, I'm from Simi or I met him. But I think they actually enjoy that moment. And they're just like, oh, good on you. I love what you're doing. And it's like, it's nice as opposed to cool, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it really lifts your spirits. You know, if you've had a shitty week, to the outside world, everything can be perfect. But we all know on the insides, sometimes startups aren't perfect. There's tons that go wrong. And you forever have to deal with the knockbacks and the disappointments. And sometimes I get it where somebody just sends me an email or I bump into somebody and they've had a fantastic experience with JBM or they particularly enjoyed a 40-minute mentor episode. And sometimes that's just all you need to hear. And like you said about the point of reflection, you had an emotional moment when you were reflecting. I think sometimes we're all so busy trying to make our businesses and roles successful that you need a bit of that external validation. A chance to say, I'm making an impact in the world. I'm doing some good. I'm creating something that people love. And you're clearly doing that. And I can imagine that even if you've had a terrible day, that sort of thing can really pick you up a little. Yeah, it's nice when it happens on a good day. <laughs> it's even better. But yeah, especially when you have a bad day, it puts things into perspective and it kind of brings you like back down to earth. Because like, I think as an entrepreneur, when you don't have a board, when you don't have a device and so on and so forth, you can just start thinking, should I really be doing this? Am I wasting my time? Like, why do I spend so much time doing this? And actually, it kind of just brings you back to, to reality and like, it's a reality check, which is great. A hundred percent. And talking of positive things, you'll be celebrating Simmer's sixth birthday, I think, when this episode airs. So what can our listeners look forward to in 2023? Why is it a great time to try Simmer? Yeah, so whilst I had the idea in like December 2016 and kind of started, when I sold my first meal was like in February 2017. So obviously six years then. Our plans for this year, like kind of why we're going to grow and push and like why people I guess, should use it is that the thing that I always say is it's one of those things where you don't realize how much easier it makes your life until you have it. And like, I'm using AirPods now and I cannot believe how much easier my life is with AirPods. And like, if I have to use something else, I'm like, oh, what are these wires and this kind of stuff? So I always say it's like, just try it. You see how you find it. And like, I'm pretty sure you'll be like, oh, I can't believe I was used to cook before or I used to cook that often or whatever else you're using. But in terms of like, we'll be launching a new menu. We'll also be launching a new product line in, in February, especially for the birthday. And we'll also have a, a cheeky uh, discount as well. We'll have a JBM 50, we'll sort out JBM 50 code. So the thing that we always say is like, we're literally happy to give you 50% off your first week. Cause it's like, it's a no brainer. You're having chef made meals delivered to your door for like, £3.50 meal effectively. 
and then you'd continue to get 25% off for, for the next month. And we, we basically want to get to customers to that point where we're just like, hey, let's get as many people as possible to try it. Some people would just be like, this isn't for me. It's not to my taste. I prefer cooking. That's fine. And that's great. It's not for you. But then when you get past that first month, you're like, wow. Like, And I've got so many mates who I'm just like, <laughs> I, I like to say to them, oh, here, have a couple of free meals. If you want to sign up afterwards, here's a discount. And they're just like, they have to accept the free meals. And it's ridiculous, the conversion off that. They're just like, why did I not do this before? And it's quite funny, actually, that friends are sometimes a bit more skeptical, especially when I first started. The amount of friends were just like, why would I pay Simi to cook? Because I can do it myself. And especially because it's a friend. And obviously, like, the people who end up signing up most aren't friends. It's like people who kind of see you as what you've done and like they're a bit more objective. Yeah, I'm so excited to try it and get the team to as well. So we'll definitely make use of the code. Thank you so much. And I'm hoping you'll get tons of customers off the back of this episode from our very loyal 40-minute mentor audience. So if you are hearing this, do make the most of it. <laughs> the other thing that made me chuckle with what you just said is that I absolutely love my AirPods, right? And I lost them in my house recently. And I'm, I've been using these old school headphones with wires, which is just so annoying. This is the first podcast I've recorded in two years without my AirPods. It's a real first world problem, I know. But it's so true that when you find something that you love, and I'm sure this has been the case for Simmer for many people, it's really hard to go back once you've crossed the divide and you've tried something that changes your life. So I'm, I'm feeling that situation right now with the, the headphone situation. Yeah. And it, another thing I'd say on that is just like, I'm a big believer. And like when you came back to like advice for side hustles and so on and so forth, like I'm a huge believer in like my time so valuable and I need to like protect it at all costs. And I always try where possible is like try to make like decisions that reduce the need to make further decisions. So I was just like, okay, Simmer is the one decision each week where I log in, pick my choices in like three minutes. I don't need to make any more decisions. I don't need to think what shop am I going to? How much am I going to spend? What am I going to cook? When am I going to cook? Do I actually like? Do I need to weigh this out? Is this, am I eating the right portion size? All of these decisions that create a lot of kind of anxiety and and like the choice anxiety is a huge thing. It's just gone. It's that one decision that saves like that makes your life indefinitely easier. So yeah, that's a big big thing for me as well personally. Yeah, I love that. I, I don't know if everyone will know this, but obviously you mentioned Jay, your brother already, but also your mother works with you as well, um, if I'm not mistaken. So just a quick one for anyone listening that maybe contemplated starting a family business. How's that experience been? And what's been the, the best and the worst bits of working with your loved ones? Yeah, I think um, for most people, when I, whenever people ask about it, everyone's just like, how does it work? I couldn't ever work with my family. I think for the majority of people, it wouldn't work. I think we have a very like unique family dynamic where I was speaking to someone about this last night, but like I'm the youngest, but I'm kind of like the one in charge, uh, which is a weird dynamic, but it just works really well. And like myself and my brother are like best mates and we trust each other so much. And whilst we argue and fight all the time, we know that like the longest we can stay mad at each other is for like an hour on a really bad day. Otherwise, it's just like a matter of seconds. And um, I think it just gives you a lot of trust, uh, a lot of kind of certainty. So yeah, it's been really great. But also, if I'm being honest, if that was a necessity, no one else was going to work for me. I was 19 years old and I was just like, guys, can you start this in Hitchin? Because I was in Bristol. And the funny thing is, and I always, I always bring this up to Jay, but it's like, I said, Jay, hey, you, this is working really well. Do you want to start this in, in Hitchin with mum? He was just like, nah. I was like, what do you mean, nah? And he was just like, nah, nah, like, don't want to do it. Like, can't be bothered. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to get mum to do it. I didn't tell Jay. I was like, I'm just, mum, can you start doing these things? I'll, I'll send orders over to you. And I knew that Jay would obviously help out. So within a couple of days, he was on board and helping out. And uh, he's really grown into it and like really like 
loves being part of it now and like obviously it really grown into the role and like he's like very much co-founder was when we started it was just like i kind of strong armed him to help him thanks so much for sharing that to me i think it's amazing to see that you can have really positive experiences of working with your family and uh, it's clearly going from strength to strength with that dynamic you have which is awesome my final question before we get to our wrap up is about personal branding. For anyone that doesn't know you, you've built this really impressive social media presence. You're part of the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator, and I've really enjoyed seeing all your content. And looking at how you market so much, I know there's some real creative hustling in there because you didn't spend much on marketing in the early years. So what benefits have you seen from investing in your personal brand? for yourself and for the business and can you share any quick tips for anybody that's maybe trying to put themselves out there more yeah i think like the easy thing that you can say is just like people buy from people and it's the most simple thing but it's just like it's going to be so much easier to sell your product as a person so something that we've always been like really big on so yeah no so people buy from people so it's just like it's so obvious like why you wouldn't do it you build yourself as like a uh like a thought leader in the space you build yourself as a someone of like authority so it can bring up things like podcast um like appearances it can bring up like awards like speaking events and like even myself now i i'm like paid to create content for other brands which is great so again you can make money for it as well um so yeah i think there's just so many like obvious benefits from it and like it helps your business it can generate more like income for yourself and obviously like more contacts and, and, and kind of connection so even if you're looking at not even just selling but raising money again you're going to like be in such a better position and even if you're not a entrepreneur but you're an individual, like very few people who are, are like employees or like work for a startup think about personal brand, but actually think about, oh, getting your next job, having a personal brand will help you with that. It kind of comes like your CV in a way. Yeah. In terms of tips on that, I think we have like always been very kind of like just storytellers and telling our story. So I think w- the reason why people have really like, resonated with it and like buy into it is because it's just being ourselves. And I think a lot of people try to be someone they're not. And they're like, oh, on Instagram, I need to be cool. On TikTok, I need to be silly. On LinkedIn, I need to be serious. But it's just like, you can be the same person on all platforms, just be yourself. And obviously it helps when like you're different or unique in some way and you really lean into your like your differences or like if you want to call it a niche, you, you lean into that. But for me, it's obviously about like this like being like a working class brown young founder and just doing something you love and being passionate about it and telling stories in the way and like not taking yourself too seriously and just being like to the point and like just basically being yourself. That's great advice. I think being your authentic self is absolutely key to building a personal brand. And I also think just getting going and being consistent is essential. And I think if you do kind of build that habit, you'll be surprised at the impact it can have. I've certainly found that. I never would have thought I'd be investing in my personal brand in the way that I have. But it's been hugely valuable for both the business and also this podcast. And, you know, I can really see the effect it's had for you. Another point I would say on that is like anything is content. Like literally anything is content. Like the other day we were shooting for our like photo shoot and I was just like, it's snowing outside. We were like, we played around the snow in the morning, Jackson Snowboard. I was like, hey, why don't we just quickly take a photo outside in the snow? whack a quick post about like just this is what we do in our startup we just like this morning we came in like we had a snowball fight and like do you know what I mean it reaches like 20 30 thousand people like great why not yeah that's so true I get asked a lot about podcasts and podcasting because it's such a saturated market now and it's very unlikely you're going to be the next Stephen Bartlett if you start a podcast in 2023 but there's so much content that comes out of podcasts you know video written content 
there's so many different ways you can chop it up and add value. I'm very conscious of your time. You're a busy man. So we'll get to our wrap up questions. In one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Simmer? Becoming the UK's most loved meal delivery service. That's a great ambition. And if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I always find these like questions around this and like role models quite difficult because I don't feel like I don't know. I'm like, oh, I really want this person to be my mentor. I would love mentors and so on and so forth. But I think probably someone who have read quite a lot of their stuff is probably like Steve Jobs or Ray Dalio. I think they're just like super knowledgeable people who'd be very helpful as mentors. Awesome. And finally, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you can pass on to our 40 minute mentor listeners? I've had some great, like, it's probably not as useful to pass on is like when people have given me reassurance, which has been most impactful. But in terms of like the advice that I actually think objectively would be helpful for people, and especially when we're looking at things like the side hustle, is I read this quote from Ray Dalio, and it's always stuck with me. It's you can have anything you want, but not everything you want. Maturity is the ability to reject good alternatives in favor of even better ones. So when I came to the decision, like, ah, oh, should I quit my job? I was just like, well, if I'm like, I can't have everything. I can't carry on having a job and a, and a business. Like something has to give. And it's the same thing as like, uh, you want to go out with your mates or you want to party, but you also want a business. Like you, you can't have like everything. You, you can have anything if you're like, if you're creative and like you work hard, you can have anything you want, but not everything you want. So true. That's a fantastic place to end our chat. Simi, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and Simmer's story. I really hope our listeners will go out there and taste your delicious products and follow you on LinkedIn because you put out amazing content. I've been really looking forward to this conversation and it didn't disappoint. So thank you so much for making the time and I wish you all the very best for 2023 and beyond. Thanks a lot for having me on. Great to chat and yeah, I'm sure we'll bump into each other a lot more in 2023. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and finding out more about Simi's journey and the evolution of Simmer. Don't forget to redeem the generous discount code that Simi and the team have offered us. All the details are in the show notes of this episode. Plus, if you'd like to find out more about how you can partner with 40 Minute Mentor or JBM and build your employer brand and to engage with you, our amazing listeners, then please do get in touch with our head of marketing, Hannah, on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. She'd love to hear from you. That's everything for me today. I really hope you'll tune in next week for another dose of pocket-sized mentorship. See you then.